I'm going to open up with a song called Only Love. <clears throat>
Take it away. <laughs> yeah, welcome everyone. Welcome, welcome back. So we've had some beautiful teachings and deepening in trust, and we've talked about some of the seeming stages as symbols that that you can expect to go through. And today, as I said, we would have a panel. We have a, a panel full of. Uh, those of miracle workers that have been very devoted for many years, so they have faced a lot of seeming issues that come up in everyone's life about relationships and finances, health issues, um, parenting, children, uh, dealing with parents, and and uh, being part of Course in Miracles groups and and uh, different. Uh, modalities and pursuits, but so they have a lot of experiences in working through the challenges and the darkness that arises. And uh, so we will be sharing from the heart on those things. And also, uh, we do always ask that that you write in and share your questions. And so we do have some questions we've been able to address. Uh, a couple of them already, but um, we would like to address them very directly. And uh, and uh, one that's just coming to mind is possibly starting off is is Nighton Nighton Riley. Nighton, are you are you on today? He is okay. That's beautiful. Okay, right there. 
There we go. Thank you, Naitan, for um, for putting it down. You you poured out the your questions, the context of your questions, and and really desperately wanting to uh, talk through these things on this weekend. And I do remember seeing uh, some messaging coming in that you have uh, got in touch with Spiri Laverne. Um, did the Spiri session, so that's going to be very, very helpful, I think, as well, because it's very interactive, almost like doing little mini counseling uh, sessions to go down and have everything reframed. And so, from what you've shared, it's just that you, you have been experiencing a level of fear that is so high uh, that it's been difficult to have a stable functioning, even though you're in college, and even though you have aspirations to become a psychologist and and be used to help people work through various traumas, and 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 really even motivated by what you've gone through in this lifetime, um, of like extreme abuse and extreme uh, lack of attention, very different than what the, the normal. Um, child development is, uh, and also through young adulthood, you didn't seem to receive the nurturing and the, the typical things that children receive to move on into adulthood. And so I used to refer to it as almost like if, uh, if your life was like a, a rocket ship on the launch pad, that, that some people get a, get a good launch and, and actually get up high enough to get to orbit, and sometimes the the rocket just um, explodes on the on the launch pad. It actually doesn't really get off into the air. And so, I've met many people in my life that have described their life as that way. And so I would say, well, it's just you have to do a relaunch. You know, you have to do a launch uh, later in life. And we've been just talking a lot about the the young um, use of languaging. Um, you didn't make it into adulting. You're just, you're just work, working through that part where you just want to have enough clearing of the fear that you can function, and then slowly work your way back higher and higher into uh, into like a functioning life. And I would say too that the context of the development of trust we're talking about is. It's, it's to the point of university or college and a profession, but it's actually even beyond having a profession in this world. Whereas you deepen into that trust, you have some mystical experiences and then you move through the fear and then you actually go higher and higher, uh, more towards uh, a divine healing that's actually for the whole universe. Uh, it's not really a personal healing at all. And um, when you were talking about the fear that uh, you were saying is, is extreme and that you haven't really feel like you, you haven't really chipped away at the tip of the fear, the tip of the iceberg, and there's, extreme, there's anxiety that's beyond typical anxiety. And when you were talking about this extreme trauma, about 21 years of extreme trauma, it did remind me of the part in chapter 18 of A Course in Miracles 
where Jesus says that beyond the perceptual world that we see, there is a ring of fear underneath the perceptual world. So we've all grown up by thinking the earth is a planet and there was many years ago maybe a big bang and there were all these gases that were shot out of the universe and then some of them cooled down and became planets. And we have a, a, a historical linear cause and effect way of thinking how the planet came to be, but actually Jesus is saying, no, it's the world that you see is a projection from your mind and that underneath the perceived world is this dark ring of fear and that everything in the world, all the people and the buildings and the continents and everything you perceive, it rises out of this ring of fear. And that ring could be associated with the Big Bang, but it's, it's, it's not so much a spatial thing as it's a, it's a mental, it's a dark mental ring of fear. At the, in that same chapter he calls it the circle of fear. And so I think the only time I think he really refers to this, what's going on underneath the surface. And so I would say that you're just a little more conscious of this uh, ring of fear and it's not really because of what happened to you in your lifetime, it's just because your mind is actually ready to face the fear and there are many that seem to have very successful lives and be very successful in their careers and their families and, and just going along, living out life on planet Earth with uh, some upsets here and there, but generally not extreme fear at such a high level. But you are facing this now because it's an invitation from your mind to, to go beyond the ring of fear, to go much deeper. So it's more like a spiritual calling and you're facing, you're more conscious of that fear than most people. But it seems extremely difficult because if you go to psychologists, social workers and everything, they'll say, well you're extremely disadvantaged because you didn't have a basic proper childhood and all these other people are out functioning in the world because they did have a proper childhood. So, actually what's happening though is it's just your mind is ready to... Oh, he dropped. Okay. And so, basically, um, the thing I want to focus on in the development of trust with relation to what Nidon is uh, going through is that the very first principle of the 50 Principles of Miracles is that there's no order of difficulty in miracles. So, part of, I, th I feel, Nidon, what when you were saying I desperately need to talk to David about something, the desperation comes too from the perception of like, my life is so extreme, this is so unusual. I, you know, I do, I'm not meeting any psychiatrist that helps, and I'm trying the course, I'm up to 52, 53 lessons, but I'm really praying for something to have an impact on my state of mind because it seems like I, I didn't get a, a good start in this life and now I'm dealing with an unusually high extreme level of fear. But that first principle is so full of hope because it's stating that there's no order of difficulty in miracles, no matter how dark it is, no matter how extreme it is, 
it actually is just an opportunity to call out for help, which that's what you're doing. You just poured your heart out uh, on this question that you just wrote, all these paragraphs. And so what came to me today too was, because we have a whole community of people that have gone through things, but um, uh, a while back, was that about a couple years ago, Raphael? About two years ago, um, Raphael communicated with me and, and went, I think, to visit Jenny briefly in Spain. But uh, Raphael was having these extreme dark uh, experiences and very high fear level coming up. And then on top of all of that, like you're having, um, he started to lose the use of his five senses. His senses just started disappearing. Um, so he had difficulty seeing and he had difficulty hearing and, and the senses started to leave. And so from, both from Raphael and I'm sure your parents uh, were quite disturbed because they were almost like, oh no, we're losing our son. It looks like he's, he's going away. And, uh, and then we did invite Raphael to come to our monastery in Utah because it's so far out away from everything and it's so, such a devotion there and such a, a healing vibe in the sense that it, we knew that it would be a journey back um, to try to come back, even to come back to be functioning. And that's what you're asking as well. And so maybe I have Raphael with me today. He's, he's uh, joining me, he's right here next to me, and he's, he maybe can share a little bit about, about what he did initially when, when there was such extreme fear and the senses seemed to be disappearing, and then that reaching out, and then also a bit about what happened while you were at the monastery, because this is to help give you hope of that your, your case is not... Um, so extreme that there's no help available because the spirit is always right there to handle anything that that comes in awareness. Hello. Hello. <laughs> yeah. So <clears throat> a couple years ago, I really started to feel this intense desire and this call to to wake up and. It seems that that where really when the fear started really to came very strongly, and I was in contact with non-dual teachings, and I was learning. Okay, just allow the feelings, allow the the darkness to come up, to come to consciousness, and I was starting to become aware that that was the way out, it was through the darkness. So, yeah, at 22 I decided to leave everything, my work, uh, my family, all my friends, the, the lifestyle I had, because I, I wasn't finding satisfying, satisfying uh, at all. So I just went to, to Thailand and I was in, in touch with the teachings of the Course at the time. And I basically just went to a a temple, a Buddhist temple, and I just meditated for hours and hours and hours in silence for several months, and I was just allowing uh, the darkness and the fear and the guilt and all the suffering to come up to consciousness. So 
there was something in me at the time that knew that that was the way out. But I wasn't really receiving any similar teachings to the course, so I end up in a very, very dark place. And uh, it's the only thing I was that was my daily life and what was in my consciousness was just guilt and fear in a very extreme level. And it's usually what I describe as being the scream. It was just a scream 24-7, and I couldn't even sleep for months and months. And, yeah, I... I was quite desperate at the time, really, like, uh, I didn't felt I really had any hope. And that's really when I started to pray. It was kind of intuitive. Okay, like, I, I just started to pray. That wasn't at all in the teachings that I was following. But I was just praying for, for help, really. And so there was a couple of situations where it took me out of title. Thailand and brought me back to to Lisbon, which uh, was the place where I was living at the time, and that was when the the course came in in my life and David too. And uh, yeah, at some point I, I called David. It was really unbearable because it was even with the teachings of, of the course, the only thing I could felt was okay. There's hope here, and there's actually. Uh, teaching that is talking about this ring of fear and even um, a couple of times in the course he talks about this scream and this hopelessness that can seem to happen in the mind so I came to the monastery and I was I was pretty much uh, I think an invalid because I couldn't do anything and uh, I couldn't read I couldn't watch movies I couldn't write um, and I had a lot of fear and, and guilt very intense and even like when I got up I got out of the plane, I was in a wheelchair because that was like so intense, the the traveling and I wasn't able to, to stood by my own, really. And then after that darkest hour, it was like when, okay, the miracles started to happen. And I... I, I feel a lot of gratitude because uh, I wasn't, I never heard such teachings and even I, like at the beginning I didn't really understood but basically where I started to become aware was that I couldn't do this by my own and I didn't need to do this by my own. And what started to happen is that I didn't, that was so intense that I didn't have space. I, I couldn't establish any space between like this scream. I couldn't get out of that. So what started to happen was Jesus was started to, to tell me that actually you can, there's a way out of this and you can forgive yourself by forgiving your brothers and sisters. And I will give you a lot of opportunities where this scream, this hatred, this this guilt is going to be projected outside, is going to be projected onto your brothers and sisters. And it just takes a little willingness, a little willingness, because it sometimes it gets so intense and you want so much to project all this pain into someone. And it's just a matter of, for me, was to find this place in my heart where it was just this little willingness to see their innocence. And 
by giving this innocence to spirit, then I started to experience miracles, which was really seeing their divinity of my brothers and sisters, their innocence, the Christ in them. And by doing that, I don't know how it happened, but I started to forgive myself too, because at, this, at the end, and I think very unconsciously I know this, that I'm only talking to myself. So if I'm blaming someone, I'm blaming myself. If I'm forgiving apparently someone, I'm forgiving myself. And that was when I started to unfreeze, meaning that I started to be able again, like very slowly and with a lot of support to do things again and, and to start to trust, really, because this fear was preventing me from trusting all the witnesses that I was calling for. So I think that was a very important aspect um, because I was in this place is so confusing that you cannot really forgive yourself. I mean, you don't even know who you are. That's it's it's a problem of I, I identity, and, and so I, I didn't have the ability to forgive myself. That that's why I found it so helpful to have reflections and and situations and seeming other people to to help me to do this. And there was also, uh, I, I started to feel that really like this, it's not a small thing, praying. Like it's not, it's, it's really something strong and our mind is so powerful. And, and I, I experienced a couple of miracles. I can share maybe one, the one with movies that mm-hmm. I couldn't watch movies. So every time that um, my medic companions were watching movies, I would like turn my back and just listen for like, 15 minutes, but then I've started to feel like a lot of pain and I will leave. So at one point, after I think two months, we were uh, watching a movie, uh, the biggest, the greatest story ever told, which is about the life of Jesus. And um, I was just there with my eyes closed and I was just listening and it was became, becoming very intense again, like the pain. And I was just about to leave when this scene of the movie appeared where is Jesus that uh, meets a para, 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 paralysis? Yeah, the paralytic. A paralytic. And Jesus basically gets in front of him and says, raise and walk. And at that time, I heard in my mind, turn and watch, turn and look at the screen. And I said to that voice that I heard, I can't. And, and the movie, the paralytic answer, Jesus, I can't. (laughs) And Jesus said again, raise and walk. And I heard turn and watch. And I said, I can't. And the guy said, I can't. Raise and walk. You don't understand. I cannot do it. And Jesus was like very firm, but you could feel this, this love behind it that was really like a true empathy. Like, you can do this. You are the Christ. Raise and walk. Turn and watch. And I just heard the scene when he actually, at that time, I, I wasn't still trusting that voice. I was like, this is, this is impossible. And the paralytic stood up and he said, you healed me. And Jesus answered, no, your faith has healed you. And at that time, I said, this is too much for myself. And I stand up to leave. And I don't know why or how, how but I just somehow I turn, I look at the screen and I was healed 
And this was something that I was dealing for two years, and I saw all the specialists and med doctors, and nobody was figuring out what I had. So that was also like a very, it's, it helped to strengthen my mind in this trust that we're not alone. We have mighty companions and we have help. Jesus is with us always. Every time we, we remember him, he's with us. And that was a huge step. And I still feel like today there's so much that I still need to go through. And uh, I, I really, also it's like what I keep sharing and exposing because this is also like the gift we don't, have to figure out anything by ourselves and see really the power of exposing and being willing to not hide anything, to not protect any kind of self-concept and just exposing and being, be, being very honest, okay, this is where I seem to be at. And I can tell you that for me, there's still that scream, but it's very less intense and I feel that it's not stuck. It's like it's moving through and I feel like there's this huge unworthiness that still seem to get projected onto situations and it's basically also what I what I was always I'm always sharing here even this morning it's like there's still that I, I'm caught in this pattern of feeling this huge unworthiness and then the desire of being special I just want to be special I want to be admired I want people to love me to talk about me and at the same time I'm terrified and I just want to hide because I I believe I'm so dark so unworthy so what I found and this took me a lot of time to understand a lot of time is just that there's also like another 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 way to 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 pull my mind out of this dynamic of separate self which is really the guilt and the fear and and that is service is serving apparently others other parts of myself and i really it took me a lot of time to really understand it experientially, but I started to feel like when I was serving that there was a sense of uplifting, and that's because I was turning away from this dynamic and this desire even to fix the dynamic because it's only the ego that is like analyzing itself and trying to fi fix itself. And Jesus was constantly calling me, okay, turn this way, turn this way, turn this way, and serve because at this point, even if you have experiences and all of that, for most of the time, almost always, you believe that there are other people. So pull your mind out of that scream and serve. And I found that that's extremely helpful too. So I actually, I'm, I'm very grateful for oh, That's so beautiful. That's a testimony. And thank you, Raphael, because also, you know, Raphael has many talents and skills and, and your father's very, very talented and skilled as we all know. And so he's he's had some guidances about movie making and and working on a script, screenwriting and all the kinds of different things. But you see the service has been so important for stabilizing him and for getting out of that constant thinking about other people. It's a way that pulls you out, that that's why he's down here in, our, in Mexico with us. He's, he's here and he's so helpful and so into that service mode. And I would say that for yourself, maybe you've used it as like a, a future idea or carrot to think, if I can only be stabilized, then I can 
be a psychology student, become a psychologist and help other people, I would bring it more back to stay open right now to all the opportunities and resources that you have and don't really think of it in future terms like what what you can do and what you can become years down the road because there's so much to clear, there's so much darkness to clear away and that's where surrendering over to spirit and saying be you in charge I have no idea how my life will go, what I'll be used for, but I, I have no idea how you can use my skills and abilities, but I do want to break through this, this uh, darkness and uh, like the scream that Raphael was talking about. And I think that was the prayer of the heart, the, the God answers the prayer of the heart. And I think it's the same for you, that if you can just avail yourself of any opportunities that come uh, we just did a retreat called Quantum Immersion and, and some of the people on this online retreat were there where they even just came for four days and just completely let go and immersed into an experience and were taken into some amazing healing experiences. But that is a, like Raphael going to the monastery and, and having to be in a wheelchair when he got off the plane uh, all the way from France uh, to Utah um, he needed a wheelchair, but then slowly, 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 because of his prayer and his desire, things turned around. And I feel like that's really your answer right now, just to, to really stay with the prayer and stay open to any kind of opportunity. Because Raphael coming too, we've had others that have come in some very, very difficult uh, positions and states of mind, but they come in and they, they just are so willing to heal that that their willingness, it's a faith that heals them. It's not anything external. You know, we're just there to witness to, oh, their faith grows stronger and stronger. So thank you, Nidon. Thank you for your question and for pouring it all out and, and coming online this uh, weekend. And very good. And thank you, Raphael. That was beautiful. <laughs> that was amazing. Okay, Paul. Is it Frale? Paul Frale? Um, I think I'll just read out your questions because it's, uh, it's a very uh, typical kind of question for someone who's pretty new to the Course and goes through a period of, um, I'll say, stagnation that comes in. Do you see? Yeah, right there. Oh, yeah. oh, right there. There's Paul. Hi, Paul. So I think I'll just read out your question because um, you've been working with the Course for about two years and, and this is a common thing I know for a lot of people where they, they get almost get taken in and there's all these miracle, there's so many miraculous experiences and then all of a sudden it seems to kind of die down a bit and there can be a little bit of feeling of, of stuckness or stagnation that that rolls in, and I'm, there's lots of people here with me on the panel that have have gone through these kind of experiences in uh, in working with the course. But I'll read it. Paul writes, "I've been studying a course of miracles for almost two years. For a period of time, I was making progress, having had a brief experience of being in the present, as well as what I think can be described as a, a mystic experience." However, I've recently been stagnating and sometimes I'm even uncertain if I'm actually communicating with the Holy Spirit 
when I attempt to do so, having previously received some rather incisive guidance from him. This state of affairs is also aggravated by the fact that I have virtually no one to talk to about the course. Whether or not the apparent success I was experiencing was beginner's luck, in quotes, I don't know, but I'm hoping that this upcoming online retreat will get me back on track. Perhaps my issue could be addressed in some way or other in the course of the retreat. And so we really feel your heart, and there's, there's some of us that have, I know when I first met Lisa, Lisa was very remote. You were, you were just in your house, and um, you didn't really, she was just doing the course by herself, and she didn't have any mighty companions around her, and, and so it, I think that's part of what it is, is like, uh, here you're seeing all your mighty companions on the screen, and you can hear their reflections and their questions and even speak to them, but um, maybe we'll let you just um, share for a moment, Paul, what it, what it really feels like as you've just witnessed this retreat, what is it that you're, that you're really calling for? And then Lisa might be able to even address some of the things that you just mentioned in your question. Uh. I don't know exactly what to say. It just seems that um, I don't really have any problems or anything, no financial problems, no nothing. It's just sort of, everything is just sort of, uh, um, uh, just sort of uh, <laughs> the same all the time, I guess. I don't know, I don't know what to say really. Okay. It's beautiful, Paul. Hi. Yeah, it reminds me of myself, actually, when you're talking, David, because for me, I actually was not part of A Course in Miracle group. I was studying day in and day out, but one of the things that I know for myself was just that, yeah, I had to continue to grow. I had to continue to expand and, you know, stepping out of my comfort zone. Even for me at the time, I was I started a business in the middle of all of it. I mean, and looking at my fears and my unworthiness and continue to move forward in in a direction listening to the spirit using everything as a backdrop to heal my own mind but i know for myself i had to continue to expand even these shows just sitting here right now i mean it's like an opening to you know almost like we've got to continue to expand you know in in relationships or however it is being able to communicate about these ideas and 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 really opening up and looking at the fear because for myself just living by myself and saying this the course i was very isolated i remember the first time that david came to my house i had been studying for a long time actually probably like six years day in and day out like david and i had built almost like i built a wall that i was hidden in my house my own safe space and i remember the first time you came to my house, David, we had all these people. And I think Serena was one of them. She's on the show right now. But I was so freaked out because I was I was totally freaked out. Like everyone, it was almost like I was being exposed in front of everyone. Like having to look at my own fear. Yeah, my isolation. I was isolating with the course and hiding with the course. 
So David came in and kind of, and I didn't realize all that was underneath that until my mighty companion showed up. Like I just kind of like, wow, you know, I wanted to hide and isolate, but just, you know, just for myself, just seeing the gift of stepping out of that comfort zone, facing those thoughts and facing the stuff that was underneath there. Because I felt like I, well, I didn't even realize that I was just on the surface. I was just reading the course all on the surface and never facing all this unconscious stuff. And that was really the work and the development of the trust with the spirit. Like it was a transfer of training, taking it now, moving forward. Yeah. To face some of those obstacles, facing the unworthiness, facing the fear of rejection, facing everything that I had to face. And that was the beginning, too. I think you, you tried a few course groups and went to a temple. <laughs> I mean, you know, there was, it was a slow process of opening up, and, mm. and, and then it started really uh, taking hold. You know, the more we would come together and really have these real kind of talks. What's the language in the new... Ship. Ship. We started... Sh- when we started shipping. We started shipping. <laughs> this is... We learned... We learned a we, new we're slang. We're learning new... How, how the young people are speaking. Shipping is for relationshiping. <laughs> we we learned to, to be used, let the Spirit use our connecting and our relationship to have these heart-to-heart talks about everything, about the chil- your children and about everything where there seemed to be some stuckness or some something, some stagnation, but it wasn't, you weren't aware of what it was. You know, it was like a feeling. But then the more we talked, the more it started to, mm. your mind started to expand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also I saw the gift of the relationship, like being able to communicate, being transparent. It was like the most amazing gift for me. I was able to share what was going on in my mind. It was a whole new way of having relationships that I could truly expose everything and also not just that, but to experience the healing in my exposure. You know, in our relationship just felt like this continual expansive thing. It was just like this, like almost like I was thirsty in the desert. I had been studying, but I got to a certain point. I had lots of miracles for a long period and then it was like flat. Like something needed to shift. But I was, yeah, so I felt like you showed up in my prayer. I was praying for someone to show up and, you know, what's my father's will for me. So just our relationship just continued to expand, seeing where I was compromising to just really getting honest with myself. I felt like I didn't realize I was compromising and that I could be really worthy of you know, complete happiness all the time. And I remember with David, I'd think uh, he was like so happy. And I used to even try to trip him up to try to see if this, is this guy really happy? You know, because I didn't trust anyone either. Letting him come in my house was really an expansive thing. I was facing all this fear of like, you know, who is this guy? You and were watching me. I would watch David all you. the time and I'd try to trip him up. I'd even do stuff deliberately to try to see if this was, you know, is this guy the real deal or what? (laughs) (laughs) Tell I'm trying to remember something. (laughs) Like I had this basement. (laughs) 
Do you remember that time? And I had this, and I thought, well, I'm going to put him in the basement. Let's see. It was like my worst room of the house. <laughs> and I'm like, let's see what he does now. And I went down there in the morning. He's like, oh. <laughs> I'm like constantly seeing if he was faking this. Like, is this guy really this happy? Oh, right. Well, that was another thing. Well, he just showed up and then what well, was... Really, it's been the most amazing thing. He just showed up in my life, and he never left. And then one time I'm there, and we're, we're, we, we were shipping. We were, <laughs> we were in the beginning of our relationship, and I was freaking out, actually. I really was freaking out because I'm like, what's going on? This guy showed up, and, you know... You know, and just I was so in love with God and this guy talking these deep, deep ideas. You came to my house and you stayed a weekend. And I never had anyone stay in my house like that. So that was a real expansive thing for me to invite people in. What do you people eat? You know, are you guys <laughs> like these wild hippies and whatever? But then you were there and I left him stay in my room at that time. And when he left, I was like, okay, good. Thank God this guy's gone. <laughs> and then I go into my dresser and I look and all of his clothing are in one of my drawers. <laughs> <laughs> he cleared out a drawer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what is going on? <laughs> yeah, many years ago. So beautiful. Well, thank you, what else? Paul, for sharing what you did, because that is a very common, your question was, is a very common experience where people have a big kind of experience with God, and then things start to kind of settle down and get a little flat. And then, yeah, that's a common question. How do I, what do I do then? How do I deal with that? And like Lisa said, it's, the mind is so deep, and we have to go through some, sometimes layers of compromise, and we don't even know we're compromising. We, nobody... We seem to blend in pretty well with the whole human race, but we don't understand in our mind that we're compromising. And so it's a, a deep journey. I just appreciate you uh, writing and, and sharing that with us, uh, being so transparent. Yeah, I think we talked a bit about it over the weekend already, isn't it? Where there is, it is like an ebb and flow, the actual the journey. And we can have these mystical experiences, and the ego can jump on that and say, oh, look, you know, you've had a mystical experience, but that was just... That was just a, a silly idea, and you're not worthy of having that consistent basis, you know, and uh, it's just not good. And the spirit is clapping you on, saying, hang on, I've just given you a... <laughs> this is a miracle, you know, this is what's available to you on a consistent basis. You just need to do some mind training, so come with me. And he's sort of, he's put the carrot there to say, hey, here it is. This is available, it's really worthwhile doing, and keep it up, you know, and, it'll, and you'll have more mystical experiences and more you know, peace of mind and happiness, and that's just going to happen more and more and more as we get into this. But first, we've got to go through the darkness to the light. We've got to clear the blocks to the awareness of love's presence so that love can be more consistent. So, And it's with the Mighty Companions is where this can really sort of... That's when you go on the fast track, really. This is where this sort of speeds up and happens, you know, because the projections are going to happen, the darkness is going to come up, but we hold each other's hands and take ourselves through it. And this is uh, this is very worthwhile, so... <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and then Jerry, Jerry Roberts. Jerry's over in um, Colorado. Colorado. And Jerry's been on with us 
before I thought I would read um, I would read your question and uh, there you are Jerry I see you there uh, Jerry writes there is a tendency by some of believing devotion involves sacrifice which the Course clearly says it is not necessary for atonement. The Circle of Atonement version of A Course in Miracles, Cameo 15, Jesus says, Casey, meaning Edgar Casey, some of you know the famous um, psychic, that Casey w overworked himself at the expense of his body. Uh, one of the tenets of your community is no people-pleasing which I know of as placating in satir psychology. I see the guilt that underlies this behavior. How can we know the difference in being devotional, charitable, and loving when we tend to ignore our self-awareness and boundaries and thus do physical harms to ourselves in the name of love? So I think that's a very good question, Jerry, because it's very subtle uh, in the sense that um, a lot of times when people think, okay, I'm going to devote myself to Jesus, I'm going to be a miracle worker, and they kind of go overboard into, uh, they have a concept of miracle working. Uh, just like I think Edgar Cayce had a, he had a, a pretty strong self-concept as a healer. Uh, and working with a lot of people, he he saw a huge number of of clients, and we can get into anything, whether we call it service, whether we call it healing, and we have some concept of healing, but we throw so much of our time and energy into that that suddenly what's happening is we really aren't tuning in and saying, "Spirit, you direct the way, you lead me. Who should I see?" How many clients should I see today? You know, that uh, surrendering our lives to let Jesus be uh, in control. I do remember, actually, uh, you're mentioning this cameo, I do remember there was one part, I believe it might have been an absence from Felicity, where um, Jesus was, was talking about Casey, Edgar Casey, and he was saying, uh, he was very grateful for Casey's contribution to the plan of awakening. Uh, he said um, he could have been far more helpful and contributed much more if he had just uh, put his life under my direction. And this is a common thing where we think of people, Casey's almost thought of in Virginia Beach as a, a legendary, he's like a legendary uh, healer, and yet that was a reminder to me about how when I am praying and opening to develop the trust and to be a miracle worker, I have to really allow Jesus to tell me where to bestow the miracles. Um, just have a strong feeling in my heart like, oh, you're supposed to connect with this one. Uh, in our community, all of our community members have this in a very natural way. I'm, I'm feeling so-and-so today. I'm feeling to call and so connect with so-and-so. This is like a daily experience for us because we seem to wake up in the morning and we don't really have agendas for how the day is going to go. It's almost like, you know, we don't have calendars and schedule books where it's like, oh, I've got uh, 20, 
20 clients today and we just dive in at 8 in the morning and then and then at 5 or 6 at night we're done. Um, Casey just kept seeing people for readings over and over and over and then it took, there still was guilt in the mind and that took, it got projected out onto the body so that's what it means by taking a physical toll. When you, you still are trying to guide and direct the plan yourself personally that's where the guilt comes in and that's where it takes it out on the body. And uh, so in our community um, if anybody seems to even have symptoms or things coming up it's, it's a time of great prayer and, and meditation like really going inward and going into that deep stillness and rest and waiting until there's really a strong prompt whether it's to write a song or to do something. So Jason and Lisa are over there, they're all fired up about this. <laughs> <laughs> Lisa said, what do you know I'm going to speak? She's like... <laughs> <laughs> I just was thinking about this because what I hear you really saying for myself underneath it is, and the question is the difference between being done through involuntarily and, and directing it yourself. And for me, just something happened a couple of days ago where I got in the car here at, like, I don't know, I'm already... I got in the car and um, I heard, do you need a ride? I'm, like, I'm in the car, I've got a car, I, I don't need a ride. You know, so I backed out and then this young Mexican kid walks by and the car... And just keeps going, and then I drive, and I drive by him, and then I hear it again. Do you need a ride? I was like, "Oh, that's a message." Okay, so I, I stop the car and I wait until he he walks up to me, and I it's in Spanish, like "Necesita," whatever. I don't know much, and so he gets in the car and sits down. Um, and the reason I'd hesitated was because a few weeks or months ago, I was driving up to the temple, and I thought uh, the the maid that helps come clean the temple, Chella. Chella, was walking. And I thought, oh, I'll give her a ride. So I pulled over to give her a ride. And she got in the car, and it wasn't Chella. <laughs> Somebody else's maid. And she had me go, like, a totally different direction. And I, I ended up getting a flat tire. And it was, like, totally delayed for this meeting. And it was, like, more like, oh, I'll be helpful. So that's why when I kept hearing this, do you need a ride, I almost didn't want to stop for this guy like no I have to go meet Fernanda here to talk about this new direction which I just shared with you but this time it was, it was very different it was like a message I had to deliver and like the lesson today Jesus says in 154 I'm among the ministers of God first and f <laughs> first and foremost the messages are for you well how is do you need a ride for you well I was about to find out because soon as he got in the car, he just looked at me and he was like so grateful and he was in so much stomach pain. And where he was going was right where I was going. He needed to go to the hospital mm. by Soriana's. And I told him I was driving right by Soriana's. He was like, oh, thank you, thank you. He, he was like laid out. He couldn't even put his seatbelt on. So I had to help him put his seatbelt on and I drove really slowly over the speed bumps. And I don't know how these people would do it. Like, is there even buses to get there? It was like a 20-minute, you know, drive. So I dropped him off at the clinic, and what was interesting was along the way, I was saying, "Could I, should I pay for his hospital visit? You know, like, how helpful. And Jesus was like, just the ride. 
just the ride, you know? <laughs> so I dropped him off, and then he walked off towards the clinic, and then I went to Fernandez. And what was so touching to me was Jesus was speaking to me. He's like, you know, I've got all these brothers and sisters. You just stay with your mission of this deep healing that we have to do together. But, you know, occasionally, if, if it's part of this greater flow and, and in support, of course I'm going to use you, just like he wanted Helen Shuckman that one time to offer and share a ride with somebody that was going to the exact same place she was going to, to be so still. That's what Francis and I were joining yesterday. The miracle was to be so still that we stay about our Father's business and can be open to these extra things. Yeah, so it was a miracle for me. It's so beautiful because your question, Jerry, and what Jason just shared, it shows you that that's really like an answer to the prayer at the beginning of the Course. I am here only to be truly helpful. And, and that, that goes on to say, I will be healed as I let him teach me to heal. And it's when Jason's talking, it's reminding me, and I think a lot of us, of all the little ways that we have been able to be helpful for people in just simple, everyday, ordinary ways. A lot of times I think people, they read a, a, the Course, and it's such a thick book, and it's easy, like the scribes and the Pharisees back in Jesus' day, to get so caught up into the scriptures and so caught up into the words and even the theology. And actually what I've come to discover was it had a real important uh, impact on me because it was a purification of everything I'd, I'd learned in Christianity. There were some really core things that were... I went to Bible school as a little boy and you know, it was there were some things that were very touching to me, and some even Sunday school teachers that were very inspirational and touching for me. But then, the course, as I really for like five, six years, really dove into it and immersed myself, it kind of ignited a purification in my heart. But then, after those five or six years, I was out out on the road, picking hitchhikers up left and right, and I have talked about these parables for many years, so much joy, so much happiness, but out there among the people, uh, breaking away from my own self-concepts and my own little comfort zones, egoic comfort zones, and getting into this expansive love that I feel Jesus is just a demonstration. He was very friendly and kind, and and he would talk to people of all walks of life, and uh, even when I had early students, I would send them out two by two. Once when I was in Denver, I sent all the students out. I gave them each $20 per pair, and I sent them out two by two onto the streets of Denver and and said, this is your only assignment. Just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to show you the true meaning of giving. And they were out for like five or six hours. When they all came back to uh, our little Miracle Center on Monroe, Street, um, oh, they were just full of all kinds of things that happened. Some people used the $20, some people still had the $20. Uh, it was just a prop, and they told all these miracle encounters that they had with homeless people and, you know, and what they learned by buying a homeless person a cup of coffee and really listening to the homeless person. So there was, to me, it's been a life full of, of, um, getting into how can I be truly helpful and not presuming that I already know. And realizing that the Course wasn't some kind of intellectual exercise of 
just making a career out of it and writing books and doing workshops and seminars. It was like a moment by moment bursting love experience that, that that's what he wants us to experience, the love. And even Helen Schuckman, who described the Course for seven years, at near her death, um, she was like, okay Jesus, I finally did, I did it, I accomplished my task, I, I did this Course in Miracles thing for you, it had disrupted my life terribly, but I actually completed the assignment and, and Jesus tells her, it was never around, it was never about A Course in Miracles. I love you. <laughs> it was, and she was like, because it was, you know, for her, all the work was on the the words and and the shorthand and and persistently opening to be the scribe. That was what she thought it was all about, and it was for him. It was all about the love, like you're just helping me and helping the whole universe by collaborating with me. And it, but it wasn't about the book <laughs> at the end. So, thank you for asking your question, because um, I think it is easy to, um, like with people-pleasing, one of the things I get is, we always talk about no private thoughts and no people-pleasing, and there's a part pretty early in the text where Jesus says, if someone asks you to do something outrageous, do it, to prove, you know, that the, the, the love that's underneath there, that there's, there's really no judgment. That's pretty early on. And um, how does that doing something outrageous work with no people-pleasing, which would tend to imply you have to really stay with your heart. The no people-pleasing is more when you get more into the advanced states of listening to the Holy Spirit. And then you have these ego temptations to compromise, to just, oh, just do it it'll be simpler and they'll shut up, or um, just to please somebody. And the more you get into the advanced mind training, the Spirit wants to direct everything through you without any sense of trying to please another person. And um, maybe that's even a segue too into our next question, because um, Patrick, Patrick O'Donnell has a question here, and it, it is kind of a, it's back to the ship and the shipping, it's back to the relationship thing. He says, uh, Patrick says, um, many thanks for this opportunity. I recall singing in church, some men have trust in their power, some men have trust in their gold, some men have only their savior whose faithfulness never grows old. In ACIM text chapter 24, verses 7 to 8, He looked upon you first, but recognized that you were not complete. And so He, th he sought for your completion in each living thing that He beholds and loves, and seeks it still, that each might offer you the love of God. And here's the question for the panel. I feel like I'm on Oprah. Panel? I feel like I'm on the panel. Panel, are you ready? Here it is. This is the question. How do my relationship with, quote, others affect my development of trust and my devotional life? How do my relationship with others affect my development of trust and my devotional life? Anybody want to? 
try that one. I'm just gonna, because the I guess because of this whole uh, session, I always love it because it makes me contemplate on all all how the trust has been developed. But I remember when I met you, or you know, even our relationships, just how it was a washing away, how I didn't trust you, you know, and so it was like me being able to say that and being able and us communicating. And I remember you saying to me, you can trust me. And I said, well, I don't trust you. You know, and that this washing away of coming towards my brother, coming towards each other, like in just in what we do in our shipping. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we're going towards our brother and looking at the thoughts in our mind that are blocking us, you know, that are keeping us separate. And actually, from my own experience, it's a living experience that I could feel that my brother was reflecting the thoughts that were blocking me from my relationship with God. Like it was like clearing out my mind, washing away those fears and those doubts and and shame and just, yeah, like. All of us. It's like all of us are together only because there's only one real relationship, and that's with God. But like our life is, you know, stepping through those obstacles daily. I mean, it's going on for years now, but this continuation of totally in this defenselessness, our safety lies where I'm open to questioning everything that I'm believing in my own mind. I mean, literally everything. And yeah, and just that relationship with the Holy Spirit, just saying, okay, I'm willing to be wrong. And like you were saying, I just love that too, because it never was intellectual for me. I could really cry about that. I didn't even understand that. I felt like I was really just, you know, willing to question what I was believing. You know, not reading A Course in Miracles, but the practice of forgiveness and forgiving myself, forgiving what was going on in my own mind. So my brothers really, truly were my saviors. <laughs> they were showing me everything that was going on in my mind. To constantly, like, and that's what the, the goal of the specialness is to come into that holy relationship. Like, I can, I experience that, like, you know, just like, it's always present. It's always right here. It's, there's no past holding me or barring the way for me feeling the connection with my brother, which is my connection with God. And that's a living experience. It's the mind training, you know, that we're doing constantly, just constantly forgiving, sorting out. And so, yeah, that's all that I know. I don't really understand anything else. So it's, it becomes, I, I guess for myself, I just feel like it's, it becomes more and more dreamy and you become more and more, you're not trying to hold on to some self-concept, some image that is keeping me separate, but really going towards each and every one. Like, I want to see what is keeping me from experiencing joy, you know, or, or whatever unworthiness needs to come up. Everything's just, yeah, the Spirit's giving us everything so perfectly, you know, and yeah, we want to sing the song and rejoice I was looking at the in the Bible today. Actually, I was looking up different quotes like, you know, I, yeah, it's like the meek shall inherit the earth and like have the faith of a mustard seed, like this willingness to trust in the unknown because it's like we're not able, it's like our eyes, I was blind and now I can see because we're, we're caught, it's like this faith in something and trusting something that we stepping into new territory 
brand new territory. And so you're standing there and we need each other to help. And I know even just in our relationships, like there was so much projection that was happening that I didn't understand because I really believed it was actually happening. I really thought what I was seeing was really happening. And I needed my brother to help me see, well, no, this is actually just my own mind healing. You know, I know that that's what we do for each other. You know, like even in our community, like, you know, there's an awareness that there's such a deep fear, such a deep fear, you know, to go towards our brother. I know for myself there was. And that's where you're going to find the answers, like going towards, going towards, going towards until there's nothing left there barring your way in your own mind. It's not some concept. It's an experience. It's an experience of union, of communion, a constant state of awareness. It's the mind training. So you're always being present with what's happening in your own mind, not out there. It's just there reflecting this, this healing, this call for healing, that every relationship, everything that we do, what is it for? It's for healing. It's for healing. I'm not doing anything else but healing my own mind. Yeah, it's beautiful. Mm. It's beautiful because we have all done so many retreats together and, and opened so many centers and done so many things. It's just mind-blowing, the collaborations that have come from us joining in purpose. I was talking about that movie, The Born... The Bourne movies, The Bourne ultim Ultimatum and The Bourne Identity, where they have such precision. But when we all come together, it's such a team. Like uh, Jesus says, everything that you need will be provided, you know, through your brother. Instead of like looking to do it our, ourselves personally, it's so much fun to travel with mm. these people. We've done retreats on all these different continents. There was one time even where I got off the phone and I came out and I, I started going around and saying, uh, who wants to come with me to China? <laughs> and just the looks on their faces, I go up to, I think Suzanne and Lisa were out there having a smoke or something, I, I pop, you want to come with me to China? And they were like, that sounds great. I ended up taking like, there was like seven people with me to China, touring through China. What a, a, an event that was, and all the swirling collaborations that come from doing that, or road trips. I think we took a, a road trip through 10 countries in uh, Europe. I think you and Andy came along. What did we have, like six of us yeah. traipsing through 10 countries in Europe, just all working together like we're one organism, you know? It's not like we're six different people with all of our preference packages. We're like one glob. We're like a glob. And we globbed our way through Europe having so much fun. So much fun. And as, that goes back some years. I, I know Jeffrey and Susanna, we hopped in their Odyssey van for an Odyssey to, to Mexico City, to Postland. It was like six of us squeezed in there and oh, there we were. We were having so much fun that we actually got we got in some kind of a traffic loop in, uh, in Mexico City where we just kept looping and looping and looping because there was construction going on. And uh, 
So after several loops, we were like, oh, we don't even need to pay attention. We're in a loop. We feel like it's a Star Trek episode or Groundhog Day or something. And it was like, look for somebody in the, the, in the blue. Look for some blue clothes. And then we, found, we saw the person with blue clothes, but we'd already... They're over there. And we passed them already. We'd go, okay, another loop. And, but we just were having so much fun just... That's the first time I've been in Mexico City, looping around in a van, a white van, over and over. The, the joy is, the happiness and joy that just comes from being surrendered mm. to one purpose means you're there to enjoy everything and everyone so completely, but we don't have this focus on externals. We eventually made it to Tepoztlan, <laughs> and we eventually held held our retreat, and it was amazing, very healing, and there's so much joy and love. But you don't see that going in, you know, you're just used to your personal life. And then there's a greater joining that happens, and then you just keep yielding into that and stepping into that. And then, after a while, it's not like, it's like you put in your question, Patrick, you put others in quotes. Because it, it is that feeling like, I feel like I'm in the blob. I'm always in the blob, and we are, it, it just moves along, and it, it, it's rejoicing, and the, the forms change, and the places seem to whiz by, but it's been a glorious quarter of a century of moving in the blob. And it's so different from the quiet, shy, timid, individual David that was afraid of the world, and afraid of people, and, uh, and afraid of even interacting with people. I was so shy. So it's, it's, it's just flipped everything in a whole new direction. And yeah, and you're pulling it out of us. You're just, your question is like, how does it affect my, my development of trust in my devotional life? It's huge, is what we're really saying. That's what we're all experiencing. I'm just honored to have known you all and traveled because it's so much fun when we're all when we're traveling together because you know how they say many hands mates for lights light work that's how it feels somebody's got, got the gps or in the old days the maps you know somebody's in the front seat with <laughs> the maps all over and going i think we go here but i don't know we should stop at the next gas station and nowadays we have fun with the gps we have fun with the little uh they bring little snacks and coolers and you know you're like in a little mini hotel room when we go in the, in the minivan you know every little thing who's hungry okay pass up the snacks you know it's a camaraderie it's a fellowship it's a feeling of joy it's a feeling of connection it's a feeling you're not in this alone and you're so happy to be participating in this and there's, there isn't a sense of personal responsibility, even at the retreats. We do these things, and one minute you're talking, or last, yesterday Michael and I, and Suava, then, okay, here comes the team, the, the whole room is poof, filled up today. But it's, there's not a sense of personal weight or responsibility to make something happen, or, you know, who's in charge, or, you know, all those things. Jesus is in charge, we're all here to have some fun, and enjoy the miracle, and that's it. That's that's as simple as it gets. It's been an honor, actually. I feel so good. Thank you, Patrick. You're you're pulling it out of us.
because I think we need to go open it up. Let's just let those hands come up and you you ask whatever you'd like to ask because we've we're we're ready. <laughs> okay, Jeff. What else do we? If we got going on out in the, the big universe, <laughs> they got lots going on. It's like there's never nothing going on. <laughs> okay, Rich Lespesa, go ahead, Rich. Hi, everybody. Hi, Rich. Thank you for sharing, and it really uh, brings to mind the the retreat that we just had. We had a beautiful time at the retreat and it was, oh, I wish you were there. It was fabulous. And you're, I feel like what you just said was just a tremendous gift for me, especially because what's on my heart right now is, is what I feel like that, that David and the community, they're really teaching us. They're teaching us about love and, they are teachers of love. And what comes to mind is, is you know, love is all-encompassing, and so you can't really define it. But what they teach me about love is that love is not, well, just kind of think about it as love is not really a feeling you're waiting to embody. Love is not being emotionally high all the time. And you were a beautiful demonstration because sometimes you're really high and then this time you didn't hesitate. And I, I was so in awe of your willingness to, to share who you are. And the, the community, they just, they, they don't care if, if you're high or you're low. It, it doesn't matter. The, the community will support you throughout your highest triumphs and your most insurmountable moments of pain. And, you know, they show me that love is, is, is the response of greater support, not a high of any kind. And um, they teach me that love is the one who supports and nurtures the experiencer throughout the duration of, of any feeling and not any feeling in particular. So, you know, to the ego, love is just a super duper arousal or hardcore preference. But the community teaches me that to just maybe to consider that, you know, love is not a feeling we were waiting to embody. Love is the harmony that, that, either engulfs one heart or unites two or more hearts when when two people or more are willing to serve the happiness of another without excluding themselves. So, yeah, I just am so touched by what you shared. And I'm so touched by the community and how how over this last week they were so supportive. I felt so safe and I was so touched. And, and when we had, we were in our last day of discussion, I think, and 
And Jason brought up a topic about trust, which was a little uncanny because we were about to do this retreat on trust. And he, he, he looked over at Francis and he was telling the parable of how Francis got into the, the course and how she was, you know, teaching the course in Australia. And then he met with her and, and, and he said, she said, oh, I want to go all the way. I want to go all the way down the road. She wanted to know what she needed to do. And then Jason said, you just need to trust me and you need to trust David. And, well, Francis didn't really have a response. She was so touched. It was so beautiful. I, I just was, uh, it was just unbelievable. She didn't have to say a word. It was all felt. And so, you know, thank you for the retreat. That was so amazing. I just felt so loved. And if there's one thing that I feel sometimes about myself is that maybe I'm too much love. Maybe I'm too much in people's face. And the thing that I felt there was I was safe to, to extend all the love that I had in my heart because my heart seems to be stuck in the open position right now. (laughs) Anyways, I just wanted to show my gratitude for all of you, everybody on this, this, retreat everybody at the last retreat and just everybody i love you so much thank you thank you thank you (laughs) beautiful well thank you everyone it was wonderful to share this weekend with you all you know again it's just the the intimacy and the depth with you all so and the intimacy here it's just so beautiful oh we're all on the screen here okay (laughs)